Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 12 of the Next Byte podcast. Today on the show, how Ford and HP are upcycling waste 3D printer materials, NASA's Ingenuity Rotorcraft, and Kirigami-inspired no-slip shoes. I'm Daniel. And I'm Forbode. And this is the Next Byte podcast. Every week, we explore interesting and impactful tech and engineering content from Weevolver.com and deliver it to you in bite-sized episodes that are easy to understand, regardless of your background. All right, let's go ahead and get started with Article 1. We're going to be looking at a partnership between Ford and HP and how they're going about sustainability. All right, so this is pretty simple. HP makes a lot of the industrial 3D printers that companies like Ford use. And together, they wanted to figure out how to upcycle the waste. The idea here is that although HP makes sure that their printers are optimizing and making sure they're not wasting a lot, there is still some waste, and that waste is always ending up in landfills. So they came together and they're like, let's make a product out of this waste, right? What product are they making? Great question. Right now, they're looking at fuel line clips. That's the main product they're going after. And... They're, I think that they, they talked about how they only want to put it in the F-250 right now. But after I talk about what I plan on talking about, I am pretty confident that I see a future where Ford expands this to the full line of offerings. Awesome. So the process starts with getting the waste material. In order for Ford to actually put this in their production vehicles, they need to have a consistent source, making sure that they're getting enough waste to actually make the products they want to make. And that's where Smile Direct Club comes in. Smile Direct Club, for those of you that don't know, they actually make like aligners. So like they help you get your teeth to be like nice and straight. Like mine were like a couple of years ago. Super cool company. And they employ the largest fleet of HD, HP 3D printers. Yeah. So I think they like do bespoke scans or molds of your mouth. And then they 3D print, you know, for every single person, a custom aligner. So I can That's see right. they're probably making tons of aligners every day and being familiar with some forms of 3D printing from my experience working in the 3D printing industry. I imagine they, you know, even if they're good with, you know, recycling as much of the waste as they can, there comes a point where you can't use purely recycled material. Mm -hmm. You have to introduce some virgin material because of the mechanical properties. So I imagine, you know, they're probably making thousands of aligners every single day. They might have enough waste for Ford to do more than just fuel clips. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And by the way, talking about their volume, they make about 40,000 aligners every single day. So there's definitely enough waste to go around to make anything you'd want to make. So from there, uh, Smile Direct Club and other companies that want to be a part of this program ship their waste to HP's recycling partner. And that partner takes those waste powders and turns them into plastic pellets that are ideal for injection molding, which is how Ford and a lot of companies make their plastic parts. The pellets are then shipped to one of uh, Ford's suppliers, and that supplier then manufactures the part, which is the fuel line clips, which gets sent to Ford's uh, assembly line, and then it finds its way into your next brand new F-250. This might not sound like a big deal. Like, (laughs) as a consumer, I never think about my fuel line clip. To be honest with you, I didn't even know what it was until we went through this article together. But... 
here's some cool things about it. Apparently, this new product is 7% lighter, 10% cheaper than its predecessor, and the best part is that it's completely made out of sustainable materials. Um, that's that's pretty interesting because I've heard of, you know, even working in the auto industry, I've heard of a lot of applications of recycled plastics that end up in a part that um, doesn't have great mechanical properties, costs more, but you do it anyway because it's a good thing to reduce waste and it's a good thing to use recycled materials. But it's interesting here that we're saying it's lighter, which means that the material is actually stronger so they can remove extra material. It's cheaper and 100% recycled. This is super interesting. And I imagine like the way that HP printers work, you know, you're not trying to source recycled plastic from people's recycling bins with a bunch of different types of bottles. They have very tight control over this powder material. And that's probably You're why they get right. such predictable mechanical properties out of the recycled plastic parts at the end. Right. And it, it's a great effort because Ford has this goal of having only sustainable materials in their cars at some point in the near future. HP is trying to do their part, again, with 3D printing technology, minimizing waste and trying to upcycle this waste. So you love it when two great companies, two industry leaders come together and make something beautiful. Yeah. I mean, it's a huge kudos to Ford. I, we've seen some of their previous efforts in the past few years. I know, um, I think maybe last year, the year before they announced a partnership with McDonald's to use coffee beans and as a You're filler right, yeah. in some of their composite plastics. So, um, it seems like it's up their alley to be continuing to use recycled products like this. Um, and good for them for pioneering the way, uh, for doing this in the auto industry. I'll move us on to our second article, which is about NASA's Ingenuity helicopter. Um, and Ingenuity is part of the Perseverance rover that we actually talked about a few weeks ago, uh, the week that it was landing on Mars. So it's great names, by the way, all around. Yeah. Uh, I think the Ingenuity name was made by an 11th grader um, in oh, the US, nice. and she won the naming contest. So that's awesome. But so Perseverance, uh, NASA's most recent Mars rover. It's got Ingenuity actually in its belly. And Ingenuity cool. is a drone that's got, it's about four feet by four feet. Um, so like think of it as a giant drone or a mini helicopter. Um, and basically it's a ridiculous and really interesting feat of engineering because of how hard it is. At least they expect how hard it will be to fly in the Martian environment. Why is it so hard to fly in the Martian environment? Well, there's a lot of things about Mars. Um, that basically the atmosphere is really, really challenging to fly in. The biggest thing is that the air on Mars's surface is about one one hundredth of the density of that on Earth. Gotcha. Um, and when air is more dense, it's actually easier to create lift using rotor blades. Um, in this case, it's about equivalent. Like, tr flying on Mars's atmosphere is about equivalent to trying to fly a helicopter at 100,000 feet elevation in, on earth which oh, has never okay. been done before because the air is too thin so um in terms of pioneering like rotorcraft this is the you know they're making huge leaps and bounds in terms of being able to fly in thin air also ingenuity is solar powered um about on mars's atmosphere they only get about half the solar energy that we do on earth so it takes a lot more time to recharge and you can probably only get short flights out of this all that to make matters worse, nighttime temperatures on Mars are minus 130 degrees Fahrenheit. That's minus 90 C. So freezing cold. Cold isn't great for batteries. It isn't great for composite materials. Um, it basically 
is like going boss mode on the rest of the challenging things because of the cold temperatures. So it's already tough to get the amount of energy required to create enough lift for this thing to fly. Then it's made more difficult because you're getting less sun, which is actually powering the device itself. And whatever power you have left over, it's required during the nighttime to keep it nice and warm. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. So um, in terms of, you know, how much engineering went into this, we can say a lot. Um, Fair. Perseverance, the rover taking ingenuity out to an airfield and it's going to like release it out from its belly and let it get set up. What airfield? Like did they bring some sort of infrastructure with them? No. So they didn't like take asphalt with them to pave an airfield. <laughs> Um, tarmac out in the middle of Mars. But what they did do is scope out the Jezero crater area, which is where Perseverance is, you know, crawling around right now. They found a spot that's about 10 meters by 10 meters that's completely flat, no rocks, okay. nothing that'll impede it. Um, I do for flying. Yeah, a, a big empty open area that's safe for this thing to try flying. Um, and it's going to test for 30 days, uh, which is 31 or 30 Mars days, which is 31 Earth days. And the first six or seven days of that will actually just be ingenuity, ingenuity setting itself up. So getting out from underneath Perseverance and getting aligned and arranged right in the right spot so it's ready to fly. Making sure you have the optimal conditions before you actually start the yeah. test, right? Doing all like the pre-flight checks and getting everything ready. That'll take about a week. Um, nice. Then they're going to do one first test. And it's the only one that they've really scheduled. Um, and ingenuity is going to fly 10 feet and basically try to hover for 30 seconds in the Mars air. Um, and after this first test, they'll send data back. Well, ingenuity and perseverance will send data back together to earth. And then they'll kind of analyze that and look at, you know, Hey, how did that flight go? What else can we try to do? And just like to keep things in mind, how short these tests will be, the ingenuity aircraft can only fly for 90 seconds. So they can only prepare for about 90 seconds of testing they're going to start with 30 and see if it can do that first. And then they've got four more tests basically left in the tank for Ingenuity to try while it's there on Mars. Okay, so what's the end goal with all these tests? What are they trying to determine? Well, you know, if you kind of zoom out and look at the importance of what this is, it's basically the first time we're using powered flight on another planet. Um, and so, like, if you think back... Actually, here's a fun fact. Think back to the Wright brothers, um, commonly accredited with uh, having the first powered flight on Earth. Um, they actually have a piece of cloth from the Wright brothers' first flying machine on Ingenuity because it's oh, kind of really the, cool. the equivalent thing on Mars, which is the first powered flight. Right. Um, <laughs> Apollo 11, also, when it landed on the moon, also had a piece of this cloth on there. I didn't so know that. Wow. It's kind of a cool tradition with flight um, and the... Uh, aeronautics, aviation uh, type industry, but um, it's basically the first powered flight on another planet. And NASA says, you know, the goal of this test is just to determine whether flight on Mars is possible. And okay. if it is, then it opens up a whole realm of possibilities for rotorcraft like Ingenuity to explore Mars and to access different areas of Mars that we can't with a rover. Um, and if it doesn't work, then NASA will know that we can't fly on Mars at this point in time. So... <laughs> It's well, a, you know what? It's, it's a first test, but it's a significant one. I'm I'm pretty excited about it, man. You know, anything that's rover, Mars, and NASA related, we always get super excited about. Um, I'm I'm wishing the team the best of luck that you get the test data that you're looking for, and that 
ingenuity lives up to be what we want it to be. Yeah. All right. So let's move on to article number three. This is a joint effort between Harvard and MIT. And these researchers wanted to look at a big problem in the world, which is falling. Um, For those of you that don't know, falling is actually the leading cause of death in the elderly and the second um, leading cause of death for occupational hazards. So it's a big deal. Um, They wanted to look at how this could be prevented by adding something onto your shoe. So traditionally, crampons are a big, um, not alternative to wearing non-slip shoes, but like an addition to it. And they wanted to create their own crampon, which was easier to put on and take off. And ideally more effective. What's a and, crampon? Is it just like something that you slip over your shoe provides more grip? Yeah. So like think think of like hikers and how they put on like those hiking spikes. Okay. Um, that Not that extreme. But if you're going out and walking in the ice and whatnot, you can put like this rubber thing on your foot, on your shoe that has these little spikes on it to make sure that you're not falling everywhere. Okay. And that's a crampon. I, and the elderly, I imagine, use this pretty widely. Yeah. Yeah. From okay. From my understanding, they do. Which okay. makes sense because if you're at risk, you want to make sure you have much, as much protection as possible. Okay, that makes sense. So the approach that they took with their design is actually kirigami. Dan, do you know what kirigami is? No, I don't. Okay, I know what so origami is. There you go. Origami, you're folding paper to get a desired shape. Kirigami, you're cutting the paper okay. to get the desired shape. So they use kirigami on a piece of thin steel to come up with like a snakeskin pattern. Why snakes? Great question. So I'm I don't a little know creeped you... out by snakes. So this, <laughs> like you know, but maybe like snakeskin boots. That's a that's a thing. <laughs> kind of. Th- these are not like the other snakeskin shoes or boots you've ever heard of. But the reason they chose snakeskin is because snakes actually use the scales on their body to climb up objects by having them kind of stick out and give them extra grip. In a similar fashion, in this application. Whenever someone is walking, they've designed or they've engineered this product to deploy these little like snake skins on like perpendicular to the floor to give you as much grip as possible. That's okay. the idea. And they determined this by like looking at how people walk and trying to get like the right curvature of your foot before you're putting your foot down to make sure that these are like better performance or grippier than what's already on the market. Okay, so like snakes can make their scales go in and out when they mm-hmm. need more or less friction. Um, they say this is like a snake because they've got these spikes that can go in and out. Um, and I imagine they looked at, you know, they did a lot of gait and force analysis with walking to make sure that they go out at the right time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That That's, that, that's the kind of analysis they did. They wanted to make okay, sure cool. that they were getting deployed when they expected it to, basically to prevent the fall. Okay, so like if I was about to fall the position that my foot would be in, the gait that I was having, these uh, scales, so to speak, would kind of be protruding out and give me more friction on the ground that I'm standing on. Right, yeah. Cool. And apparently one of the bigger um, advantages of this, again, is that you can take them off and put them back on very easily in comparison to the others. Nice. Um, Does it like, how does it compare in terms of uh, friction performance. I know that's that's probably their key performance indicator is how much friction it can give um, to someone wearing these shoes when they're about to fall on different you know, surfaces. There there wasn't a ton of data on it exactly, but they did mention that um, this this is a better product in comparison to what's already out there. And again, I think that's 
pretty much due to the fact that they've optimized when those spikes are deploying versus just having the spikes like in a static position on the bottom of your foot as, as you go directly up and down. I'm interested to see if they can commercialize this. I know it's probably not ideal to just have like a thin steel plate on the bottom of their shoes. So I imagine they'll like figure out how to coat it with rubber or something like that. So it's not more slippery when the spikes aren't deployed or it doesn't tear up your hardwood floor. But I'm really, really <laughs> interested. I personally am very, very interested in nature-inspired engineering and nature-inspired design. So it's cool to me that they did the snakeskin. And Agreed. I know you like art, so it's probably pretty cool for you that they did Kirigami as well. And I love shoes for those of our uh, listeners that don't know. I was a huge sneakerhead back in high school, so this was a very fun article for us to cover. Cool. I'm, uh, I think that's actually a pretty good place to wrap up this, art, uh, this episode. Agreed. I just want to take a second to thank everyone that's given us a review so far and implore you, if you haven't, um, if you could just take a second, go to Apple Podcasts, leave us a review, let us know your feedback. It's actually the best way you can help our podcast to grow. So if you have a second to do that, please do that if you're enjoying what you're listening to. And also share this podcast with a friend. We're growing a lot and we'd like to continue seeing that growth and continue to make better and better episodes every week. Um, That's all for this week and we'll see you in the next episode. That's all for today. The Next Byte Podcast is produced by WeWalver. And to learn more about the topics we discussed today, visit WeWalver.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please review and subscribe via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or one of your favorite platforms. I'm Forbode. And I'm Daniel. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode.